Well, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we continue in our worship as we turn our attention to God's Word, and I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we are picking up where we left off uh, last time uh, with verse 4 this morning. Um, and last time we saw that in this uh, section of uh, Ephesians, as Paul lays out uh, numerous uh, commands and exhortations to the believer, uh, that we are commanded uh, by the Lord uh, in uh, verse 1 to be imitators of God. And that is uh, seen in our lives when we live a life of love, verse 2. Uh, when we live as children of light, verse uh, 8. And when we live, verse 15, not as unwise but as wise, or we live or walk in wisdom. Uh, last time we didn't uh, get uh, too far into the text, but part of walking in love means that, like Jesus, we are obedient to God's commands. And one of the main ways that that is expressed is uh, in verse 3 is by our living pure lives, uh, moral lives, uh, through the indwelling presence of Christ. Uh, and so uh, those exhortations and commands are given uh, to us. But it's not just our actions that are important uh, in, our, in our Christian walk and in our living and reflecting the Lord. Uh, so are our words. Uh, and the apostle picks up at, at verse 4 that not only should our actions be pure and morally upright and in keeping with God's commands, but so should our words uh, be upright in that way. In fact, uh, our, our actions and our words as believers uh, should go together. There should be a correspondence between our actions uh, and our words. It's not either or, it's, it is both. Um, and the question that I ask myself when we get into this text here and look at uh, the words that Paul says should not be part of the Christian's vocabulary is this. Are you careful with your words? Have you ever heard anybody say to you, watch your language, watch what you're saying, or even bite your tongue? Uh, maybe this was part of your upbringing, but maybe your parents, or maybe your grandparents, or maybe an aunt or an uncle said, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap, because you're using words that you shouldn't. They're using bad and obscene words. Well, that uh, really comes right out of the scripture, that the believers are not only to live morally pure lives by the power of God and the indwelling presence of Christ, but our words also ought to reflect uh, uh, our walk with God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, that words are so serious that they can either acquit you or they can bring condemnation to your life. And so Paul picks up here uh, in verse 4 with our words, the things that we say, the things that we talk about, and he says for the believer that there, there should not be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, which means that they, they don't line up, you know, they're, they're, they're not proper for uh, the, the people of God. And each one of these words here uh, are, are pretty self-explanatory. Obscenity means uh, uh, filthy talk, it's... it's baseless and shameful. It's where we would get the idea of having a dirty mouth. I don't, I'm not going to venture to even give you examples because then I would be speaking those very words. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, the foolish talk, 
uh, comes from a, a word that, that actually part of its, its, its root word is moronic. It's, it's silly talk. It, it's the kind of, kind of conversations and talk that, that tears down what is moral or ethical or right by making jokes out of it. And then coarse joking, as John MacArthur put it, says, is anything that turns that which is innocent into something that is obscene or suggestive. Uh, most of the stand-up comics these days sort of just go right into that, into the vulgar and the, the coarse joking, you know, to, to get a laugh. And really, most of it is not even, even funny if, you, if you've heard any of it. And I'm not suggesting that you go out and Google that to, to hear it, but it's, it's something that should be avoided. But it shouldn't be something that should come out of our mouths as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because after all, Jesus said that, that what is, is in the heart comes out of your mouth. Um, in fact, I think I thought I wrote this uh, quote down here, and I, I want to get it right. Um, the, the bucket of the mouth is filled with what is in the well of the heart, if you want a word picture. The bucket of the mouth is filled with what is in the well of the heart. And I think it was Adrian Rogers who came up with that. So if you want the credit, give it to him uh, for that. Our words are, are not to be obscene or foolish or coarse. But Paul says they're to be ones that are filled with gratitude and thanksgiving and praise. Now, that doesn't mean that every word out of our mouth is praise the Lord. You know, you can sort of fall into the other extreme where, where everything is praise the Lord and it just becomes sort of a, a catchphrase that has no meaning. You know, uh, my brother-in-law was part of a, a softball team uh, that, for, with their church, and I remember there was one guy, well, we'd go and watch the games. I don't play because I'm not athletic, but I remember one guy would say, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, constantly. I just thought, really? Are you, are you really praising the Lord in that, or is this just sort of just sort of a mantra that you've sort of thrown in there so that you're not using some other words, <laughs> you know, replace one with the other? But we're to be a thankful people, and we're to be thankful for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and that ought to be reflected in our words. They ought to be praising towards God and honoring towards God, particularly with this area of thanksgiving, because, you know, when you're thankful, that avoids you from be and me from becoming selfish, because when you express gratitude, you realize that these things that God has done for you is not because of yourself, but because of the goodness that God has bestowed upon you. And so notice this. He says, uh, in both actions and in words, the believers are to live differently because of their relationship to Jesus Christ. And notice this. He gives a sober warning here in verses 5 through 7. For this you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's pretty serious. Um, those who live this way as, as a lifestyle, as a continuing, ongoing lifestyle, that their whole life is characterized by these things, you can be sure, says Paul, that they do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just have you keep your finger there in Ephesians for a moment and turn to the book of Revelation for a moment because I want you to see, at least in part, what is part of what Paul is speaking about when he says an inheritance. 
Notice this. In, in Revelation chapter 21, if you turn there, Revelation 21, John the Apostle describes uh, in chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, a, a, a new heaven and a new earth. And he describes it as the holy city, described as a bride prepared for her husband. And verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And it seems to be that the emphasis here is on the fact that God is present with his people in a way like he has never been before. He's with them. He's among them. He's around them. They are in God, and he is with them. And verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, I'm making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the springs of the water of life. There's an invitation. Even at the end of the book, God is inviting people to come to him. And if you are thirsty for God, to know him, to have him in your life, to be forgiven of your sins, to be right with God, he says, come. As a thirsty person would take water to drink, come, take of the water of life. Who is that water of life? None other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, verse 7, he who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Who is the overcomer? John tells us in one of his letters, 1 John, the overcomer is the one who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You overcome this world. You overcome death, hell, and the grave and the, the effects of sin through Jesus Christ. You're an overcomer by faith in him. And if you have put your faith and trust in him and are following him, this is your inheritance that is coming. John only gives us a snapshot. We're told elsewhere in Scripture that, that what God has prepared for those who have loved him is just given to us in a glimpse. We see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And that's the inheritance that is before the believer in Jesus Christ. But notice verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of fire burning with sulfur. This is the second death. Did you notice that there's both of those? There's an inheritance for the overcomer through Jesus Christ, but there's also a place and a portion for those who have rejected him. So you have in this text before you the haves and the have-nots. And keep that before you. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 because Paul is saying almost the exact same thing that you see there in the book of Revelation when he says, verse 6, Verse 5, that those who live this way as a lifestyle and have not been transformed and have not been changed by the power of God through Jesus Christ and are living this way will not have an inheritance. And verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words because of such things God, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. It's possible Paul is saying here, if you're not careful, that you can be deceived into thinking, it doesn't matter how I live, as long as I am in Christ, it doesn't matter. 
And you have people in Christendom who claim and name the name of Jesus, who are, or even publicly and even on media saying, well, I'm forgiven by Jesus. It doesn't matter how I live. But it does. And he's saying, don't be deceived by, by, by words that would suggest to you that, that, that you have your, your eternal security and I can live as my, I please. Elsewhere, Paul said in the book of Romans, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, may it never be that you and I would come to the place and say, well, if I want to amplify how God is so forgiving, maybe I ought to go out and just sin up all the more and then have him forgive me. And then I can say to everybody, see how forgiving God is? Do you see how that, that twists the gospel message and it corrupts it? Also, there were the seeds of this in Paul's day of a teaching called Gnosticism. Now, one of the teachings of the Gnostics which was full-blown later after Paul's time, was that this physical body that you have is evil and wicked and corrupt, and anything that is material is, is corrupt. So it doesn't matter what you do with your body. The only thing that really matters is your soul. So if your soul in their thinking is right with God, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. It's the same deviant, corrupt teaching. It's just packaged differently. And Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words that it doesn't matter how you live, whether that's with your actions or with your words. It does matter because if you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ now dwelling within you, and he's going to compel you. He's going to move you to live differently than the world lives apart from Christ. In verse 7, he says, Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Meaning, it is possible for the child of God to come under his judgment. We are not exempt from the disciplining and judging hand of God if we are not careful. And for the believer in Jesus Christ, we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19 that the believer should turn away from wickedness in their daily living. The one who names the name of Jesus ought to depart from iniquity, the scripture says. That is the, the call for you and for me. Now, as I mentioned last time, you know, we, we do fall short many times, and God is indeed merciful to us, but our heart's desire should be, I want to live to reflect the Lord Jesus in living a life of love by being obedient to God's commands in my life. Next, Paul says here, not only are we to live a life of love in both our actions and in our words, but verse 8, he says, one of the reasons why this is, this is incumbent upon us and placed upon us and commanded of us is because there has been a transformation and a change. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. When you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and you were put into the kingdom of light. And now he says here, live as children of light. He's going to describe what this light uh, uh, consists of here in a moment. But I just want you to stop and think about this for a moment. The Bible tells us that God is light. God is light. And light is, a, is somewhat of a, a metaphor that can, can speak of all that is pure, righteous, good, clean, wholesome. God is light. God is pure. God is righteous. God is good. 
And here in verse 9, Paul uh, defines this light for us when he says, the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. What is good, what is right, what is true. That's the fruit of light. Uh, that, that becomes a, a, a measuring stick that you and I can use to, to determine whether anything is pleasing to God. Is it, is it good? Is it right? Is it true? And, and you and I are called upon to live a life that is filled with goodness, with righteousness, and with truth. That's the, the way that you and I are called to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we shine his light. Because the world is in darkness, spiritual darkness, in sin, dead in trespasses and sin, in that darkness. That's the world apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know, and this comes from the lips of our Lord, that he said to us in Matthew chapter 5, that you are the light of the world. You, you, you hear that, and you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus say that of himself, I am the light of the world? How could you say of your followers that you're the light of the world? There's only one light of the world, which is the Lord Jesus. Is this a contradiction? No. You and I, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are to reflect his light in this present world. What is his light? Again, that which is goodness, righteousness, and truth in this present world. And we not only uh, show his light, and how do we do it? Jesus said in that context in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, we do it by our good deeds, by the good things that we do in the name of Jesus and because of Jesus, in the power of Jesus, demonstrating his goodness to others. That's at least one way. We also speak it as well. Because it's not just the actions, it's our words as well. When we speak what is good, uh, what is right, and, and what is true. And if you were to take the time, and I'll read it for us here this morning for the sake of time, that, that both of these ideas of you and I showing by our actions and also by our words, this idea of goodness, righteousness, and truth are, are captured here by Peter in, in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, we're to proclaim it. We're to speak it with our words. He goes on to say, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Here's the action, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you see those twin truths of not just speaking the truth, but actually living it out in such a way that it can be seen in our individual lives? And when you do that, you're shining the light of Christ to those uh, around you. In fact, Paul says here, have nothing to do with the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. 
For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. You know, when you go into a dark room and you flip on the light, it, it exposes everything that's there. Sometimes you happen to see a, a little furry creature going across your, your floor that you don't want to see or something else. Because when you turn on the light, it exposes what is in the darkness. And when you and I determine by the Spirit of God and by the power of God that we're going to live for Christ and reflect His light by living for Him, it's going to expose the darkness that's in the world around us. And by the way, that which is in the darkness doesn't want to be exposed. You know, Jesus said these words in John uh, chapter 3. If you turn back with me to John chapter 3, and I thought this was pretty telling, that Jesus said this in John 3.19, this is the verdict that light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So you and I live for Christ. We want to reflect Christ in our actions, in our words, do you think that the world's going to welcome you and me with open arms and say, wonderful? Quite the opposite. It's going to create a, a, an adverse effect on others. They're not going to want to be exposed. The contrast that Jesus has here, if you keep reading, is verse 21. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that one he has, what he has done has been done through God. See, the only way that you and I can reflect the light is through the presence and power of God and his spirit within us to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to those uh, around us. This is why, in part, as I said, that people hate the truth of God's word and the demands of the gospel because they do not want to, to respond to that and be exposed to that by the light of the gospel and the light concerning Jesus Christ. Now, verse 14 is an interesting verse because it says, this is why it says, wake up, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You know what he's saying? Wake up! Now, it's kind of interesting uh, when he, it says, when he says, or when it says, uh, the, the, the commentators and the scholars are all over the map trying to put their finger exactly on what Paul is quoting here because this is not a direct quote from the Old Testament. However, the concept and some of the phrases are found in the Old Testament. Isaiah 51 verse 17 is one example, and Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 3, but they're not a direct quote. And so you have to ask yourself the question, what, what was he saying? Some have suggested also that, that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, was actually directly quoting something God would say through Paul. This is what he's saying. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's kind of interesting that it's also been suggested that this is an early, very early Easter hymn that was sung by believers, or that it was a, a hymn or a song that was sung as part of baptism, that when a person was baptized, they would actually sing this or say this over the, the person who was being baptized. 
You know? So it's not exactly sure where Paul was quoting from, but you can be sure if it's in the Bible, it's inspired by God. And here's the command. Wake up, O sleeper, and, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. When a person is asleep, they're unaware of the world that's around them for, for the most part. Unless you're a light sleeper, and every rustling of the, the wind and every, every, every little noise that you hear is going to wake you up. But by and large, when a person's asleep, they're unaware of what's going on around them. That could be a command to the church, for the church to wake up, wake up to your call that God has placed on you to, to, to live a life of love, to live as children of light, and then ultimately to live as children of wisdom. Wake up to your call. Don't be asleep. This is not the time for rest. This is the time for, for work. Jesus said there's coming a day when night is coming and no man can work. That day will come to this earth when our work will be done. That's why I think he says here uh, later on about taking uh, uh, every opportunity that comes our way. So he says, wake up, O sleeper, believers. Rise from the dead. That could be a command to the unbeliever. Rise from the dead spiritually. Let Christ uh, 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 raise you up by the power of his spirit, by the message of the gospel you know, it's a call to the unbelievers to believe, and Christ will shine on you. And if he's shining on you, then you'll be reflecting his light when you surrender to him and give yourself to him. And Christ will shine on you. And the goal of the gospel and of our witness is to shine the light of Christ to those around us. He says here, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Are you a sleepy Christian? As believers, we're to stand upon the promises, not sleep on the premises, as someone put it. We're to be awake. We're to be awake to what is going on around us. We're to be awake at what God is doing in this present world. We are to be awake as to what God has called us to be as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live differently by our actions and we live differently by our words as God has commanded us. And then Paul says here, we're to live as wise. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand his will. Now, the last command here, if I could put it in these terms, was walk in wisdom or live in wisdom or live out wisdom. Be careful then how you live. This requires diligence and effort and active discernment on our part. It, it doesn't happen by osmosis. We used to joke in Bible college about having a, a, a test in theology the next morning. Theology was always 8 o'clock in the morning. Why they always had to put that class first, I don't know. But that was the first class in the morning. And the professor used to say, you better study tonight. You better burn that midnight oil if you have to and study these things. He says, putting your theology book under your pillow and going to sleep is not going to help you with your test. You're not going to learn it by osmosis. You're not going to learn the Bible that way either. By just putting a Bible under your pillow, you have to open the pages. You have to read what God has said. And wisdom means taking the knowledge that you have of God, biblical wisdom, and putting it into practice in your life by the power of God. If you want a divine commentary on how you and I are to seek out God's wisdom recorded in his word, read Proverbs chapter 2. 
That's your assignment for this afternoon. The divine commentary in the Old Testament of a wise person, how a wise person is to live and to seek out wisdom. But what is wisdom? It is God's way of doing things. It's God's way of doing things. And Paul says here, don't be unwise, but wise. Wise in the things of God. And here's how you do it. He says, making the most of every opportunity. Some translations say redeeming the time. It means actually to buy up the time, to purchase the time, to take advantage of something when you have the opportunity to do it. Now is the time for you to trust Christ. The scripture says, today is the day of salvation. If you haven't trusted Christ yet, don't wait for a future day. You're to do it now. Take the opportunity now because you may not have the opportunity tomorrow. And even for the gospel message and for we as believers to live our lives for Christ, the time to do that is now, not in the future. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I'll wait until I know a little bit more about Scripture to take my walk seriously. No, you do it now. The gospel message going out to places like Jordan and other places in the world where there's, we call it open doors, which means opportunities. Do it now because those doors may close. In fact, Paul even says, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Would you agree that that still applies today? The days are evil? You, 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 you are mistaken if you think somehow humanity, being 2,000 years removed from these words that Paul penned, somehow has gotten better over the years. And somehow we're just, we just need a little nudge into God's kingdom because we've, we've progressed so much. Well, the reality is there's nothing new under the sun. The same wickedness that was in Paul's day, the same darkness that was there, the same corruption, the same sin, is the same sin that is present in our day as well. It's just more blatant. It's more out in the open. And by the way, did you know that he said it's shameful to even speak about those things that are done in secret? And why are we talking about it on social media? Everything is out there. We're in a culture where everything is out there. Everything is talked about. You know, there's, there's a danger in that. There's a corruption in that. And we need to guard even what we talk about, and what we communicate, even our failures. You know, Abraham at some point probably said to uh, his son Isaac, well, you know, uh, when we went down into Egypt, I lied to get your mother and I out of a bad situation. You know what happened? He heard that. And you know what? He did the exact same thing with his wife. Why? Where did he get the idea from? He heard it. So you and I have to be careful and wise even in what we talk about. Uh, among ourselves and among others. And he says, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How are you going to know what the Lord's will is? Listen. But listen to what? His word. Yes. His word. God's will is revealed in his word. Someone has said, and I agree with this statement, I think it's like 98% of what God wants you and I to do as followers of Christ is already recorded in his word. 98%. But see, we, we fixate on the, on the 2%. Well, where, what job should I take? Who should I marry? Where should I live? What should be my occupation? What, we, we, we've spent all our time doing that when God has told us 98% of what we're to do is here in his word. So, if you and I are to be wise and understand what the Lord's will is, we have to be people of this book, which means that you and I need to know the word. We need to know what it says. And, and I know you've heard this before. You probably heard it for decades. 
you, you know that, and I'm just saying this on the side note, you know that I listen to J. Vernon McGee. He's one of my favorites to listen to. He was talking about 40 years ago about biblical illiteracy back then. How much more so is it true today that people don't know the word? And why don't you know the word? You have more free time today than any generation prior to you because of all the gadgets and gizmos and things that are out there to make your life easier and simpler. If you have a dishwasher, you don't have to spend 20 minutes washing dishes. You just throw them in the dishwasher. What do you do with those extra 20 minutes? Do you, do you spend time in God's word regularly, consistently to know what he's saying to you? But not only just know the word, you and I have to believe the word. We have to believe what God has said about himself, about us, about our need for him, about our dependence upon him, about what he expects us to do as followers of Christ. And then thirdly, we need to act upon the word. It's not just knowing the word or even believing the word. We have to act upon it, which means in faith we have to put it into practice in our lives. And how do we do that? Because we're such good people? Because we have such capacity in ourselves, even being redeemed? No, that capacity and that ability comes from the Spirit of God who indwells you. He gives you that ability to live out the Word of God and to put it into practice and to live out that new nature that God has deposited within you through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we come to understand what the Lord's will is. And so this is how uh, we are to live as followers of Christ. We're to live a life of love. We're to live as children of light. And we're to live not as unwise, but as wise as we take the opportunities that God has given us to live for him in this present world. Let me just have you turn to one last passage, which is a great summary for this. And I think Paul captures this in greater detail in this passage. But notice how he has within it both our actions, our words, and our dependence upon the Lord, and even a, a word for the day in which we live. Hear these words. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And this do, understanding the present time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytimes, not in orgies and in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I think that's the best commentary that he can give. Paul commenting on himself under the inspiration of the Spirit. How do we live this out? As we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to explore that in more detail when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the exhortations of your word this morning. Thank you for a reminder of of the high and holy calling that you have placed upon us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That both in our actions and in our words and in the overall way that we live our lifestyle, we are to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. Help us, Father, as your believing people to know you better through your word, Put it in the practice, Lord, in the power of your Holy Spirit within us so that our lives may reflect the Lord Jesus Christ in all things. And we pray, Father, that the result would be that the different lives that we live because we've made dif- been made different by Jesus will be that which you will use, Lord, as an opportunity to share the gospel with those around us. And that we will fulfill the purposes that you have for us as your believing people. To that end, Father, we give ourselves to you and pray that in our lives your will be done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.